Hello everyone, this is Matt Ferret, author of the Prepare for Medicare book series, and welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferret Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to a successful retirement. If you're listening to this podcast, put a face with a voice. Don't forget, you can actually watch The Matt Ferret Show on thematferretshow.com and on YouTube. There's a long-term care crisis looming in this country, and it seems as if next to nobody is talking about it. Too young for long-term care insurance? Think again. Do you know if your parents have any coverage? Do you know what could happen to their finances if they don't? How about what could happen to your finances? Have you thought about what that means to you and your family? Maybe you're ready and willing to have mom move in down the hall and be her full-time caregiver. Maybe not. There are actually two long-term care crises going on at the exact same time. The first has to do with the long-term care facilities and staff themselves. Long-term care professionals continue to exit the profession in droves. According to data from the Bureau of Labor, nursing homes lost more than 380,000 employees because of the pandemic. A recent American Healthcare Association and National Center for Assisted Living survey found that nearly every nursing home and assisted living community in this country is currently facing a workforce crisis. What's that say about the long-term healthcare quality trends in long-term care facilities? How many will just close? I have zero clue how to solve that one. But I do have a few ideas how to solve the second long-term care crisis, and that's the financial implications of older adults not having long-term care insurance in any form. Medicare doesn't cover it. Social Security certainly won't pay for it. Medicaid can cover it, but only if you spend down almost all of your assets. Yes, it's a complex topic. It's tough to talk about from an emotional standpoint, and it's frankly hard to find anybody who knows what they're talking about. Brian Hurt does know what he's talking about. He deals with this daily, and he's my guest today. He's a long-term care insurance rock star with decades of experience. Common estimates say fewer than 1 in 30 Americans own any type of long-term care insurance policy, and only about 7% of adults over the age of 50. The problem is, over 50% of older adults will need some version of long-term care at some point in their lives. Just hit that magical Medicare age of 65? Well, congratulations. But for 65-year-olds, there's now a 70% chance you'll need long-term care in the rest of your lifetime. Brian is a treasure trove of knowledge. I can't emphasize enough how much this guy knows about long-term care insurance and all of the non-traditional options available today. In fact, I barely made any edits to this episode because you're going to want to absorb all of it. This episode of The Matt Ferret Show will give you a very comprehensive insider's view into long-term care insurance, what it is, how many flavors there are, when you should buy it, the differences in long-term care for people with long-term care insurance, what to buy, how to buy, and why, whatever you do, you need to hit this problem head on, if not for you, then for your parents and loved ones. Enjoy. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks a lot for having me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, really focused on long-term care planning. 
Exactly. And welcome. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, let's do that. Let's talk about long-term care insurance and long-term care planning. But first, tell everybody what you do and how long you've been doing it and how you help people. Very good. So yes, I started in the long-term care market uh, in the mid-90s, and I was uh, one of those many uh, GE Capital agents, and we'll talk a little bit about that history. And I've been doing long-term care here in, in this market for about 25 years. And what states do you operate in? Or is it, is it nationwide, kind of a, a section of states or only one? Yeah, so thank you for asking. Directly right now, obviously Arizona, where I'm located, but we do uh, have agents located in California, uh, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, and Florida. So we can help in most of the states along the southern border of the country. And you can directly help, but this podcast and this YouTube show will actually help everybody in a lot of different ways and talking about long-term care insurance. So let me set this up just for a little bit. The setup is long-term care insurance used to be a thing, still is a thing, but was more of a thing in the 90s. Can you give everybody a little bit of a sense of where the long-term care insurance industry has been from your perspective since you started in what a lot of people consider is the heyday of, of long-term care insurance in the 90s? Yes, I got in in the heyday and very grateful for that and was able to help a lot of people. So um, not really, not everybody doesn't realize that long-term care insurance was actually invented in the 70s. Not a lot of people know that, but a couple of, some agents got together up in the Seattle area, put together a product they thought would manage this huge risk that they saw our country heading for. And it was kind of a slow start. It was really skilled nursing care to begin with, which nobody likes the sound of that. But it really started to evolve really into the 80s, um, late 80s, early 90s. And then as it started getting momentum, those few companies, which were like Pin Treaty Network America and Fireman's Fund, pretty soon, the John Hancocks and the Prudentials and the MetLife's and the Mutual of Omaha's, and I could go on and on and on, they saw the momentum and the potential of this risk and it was a race and it was a fast and furious race. Um, I can remember days where uh, GE Capital, which was the Genworth product, they were posting sales of five and six million dollars a week in long-term care insurance premium. And then Matt, we were looking at, you know, maybe a, maybe a $2,000 a year premium. So that was a lot of insurance. So you are so right. Then, you know, came 2007 and then come eight and then came the market and the interest rates started falling off and understanding that these many of these insurance policies that were sold were unlimited benefits and they had a guaranteed 5% growth inflationary rider built into them. And these insurance carriers were going, were in trouble. Well, not only that, but all these policies that were sold started being going into claim. And so the insurance actuarials, when they built these plans initially, they felt that the persistency rates might be, you know, 88%, 89%. 
And they got that wrong too, Matt, because persistency in long-term care policies were nearly 98%. So nobody was dropping them. <laughs> oh, okay. So persistence in the sense of that everyone kept, yeah, sorry, so persistency. Plummeting. And boy, did we start seeing uh, a run for the gate. And many of the carriers at that point either got out of this market and refocused their monies in other faster or more safe, I guess, insurance strategies. But there were a few that stayed in. But what happened around 2013 is this started to recover, the industry started to recover. They had their, the actuarials had to be totally readjusted. So premiums went up substantially. Underwriting got even more difficult to get cases through with people that had comorbidities. And it really brought the production down to a really a, almost a screeching halt for a couple of day, up for a couple of years. So there we go. Now we've yeah. got this perfect storm, which I hate to call it that, but that's actually what happened. And then the whole industry now has really changed. So are people still buying long-term care insurance? Oh yes. Are the products today and the strategies very different than they were back in the 90s? Yes, they are. And that's where it really kind of separated the long-term care pro from the more holistic financial planners. And then we started seeing a lot of other types of products. So yeah, that's kind of a backdrop to kind of where we are and where we came from. Thank you. So let's let's talk about what long-term care insurance is and what it isn't. And I think for a lot of the folks listening and or watching this, I think we may be getting lost in definitions. Are we talking about nursing home care? Are we talking about at-home care? Like, would you define for the listener what long-term care is and what it isn't? Yes, thank you. So long-term care insurance is a reimbursement insurance product that will pay for the cost of care when somebody has lost their ability to live independently. So skilled nursing care, which is what these plans were originally and where the confusion with Medicare comes, is because skilled nursing care is generally rehabilitative care. Matt, as you know, skilled nursing is rehabilitative care, it may be occupational therapy, could be speech therapy. It's care that you're receiving to restore your independence. But long-term care is really when those activities of daily living or ADLs, bathing, dressing, toileting, transferring, incontinence, um, eating, cognitive impairment, which is a big concern today, these are what we call custodial care needs. And these are not covered by other insurance products. They're not covered by Medicare. Uh, they're not covered typically by your life insurance plan directly. So long-term care became an insurance product to reimburse the 60 to $80,000 a year risk, average cost today, that's, that could be two, three, four years or longer. So that was what this product was designed to do, is to pay for reimburse the cost of custodial care needs. In your experience, um, what is the percentage of people who might need 
a long-term care insurance solution who are living and listening and watching right now? Okay. Great question. And I'm going to give you really two segments. And this is really, really important. When people hear the word long-term care, they think, oh, man, that's something I'm going to need when I'm in my 80s, right? So here's the, here's the facts. If you're fortunate enough to live until age 65, which most are today, the probability of you losing your ability to live independently, you have a 70% chance of not living on your own before the end of your life comes. 70%. Now, does that mean we're all going into nursing homes and we're all going into memory centers? No, that's not it at all. But what's important to understand is that through aging, frailty, accidents, chronic illness, things go bad when you're on the planet for, you know, a hundred years. Sure. <laughs> right? yeah. you know? And so these things, the probability of you having an event that you lose your ability to live independently without care is highly probable. But the number, the statistic that people don't hear enough about is what about the risk for long-term care under the age of 65? Oh, I'm just going to wait till I'm 80 and I'm going to get it then. Well, that's not working so well. I'll be honest with you, for sure, that's not working. That's really difficult to do. But the group of people under age 65, 40% of all the people that are in long-term care now are under the age of 65. So this just does not happen to people when they are elderly. Car accidents, chronic disease, other types of accidents. There are a lot of events that happen in life that can cause somebody even younger to lose the ability to live independently. So that's the conversation that is important to have with people, Matt, because people are sitting here at 50 years of old going, yeah, I'm really in good health. I, I'm going to live forever. And I don't really see myself being in this environment. And everybody's healthy until they're not. And that is the hardest part of long-term care planning because, Matt, as you know, it comes with a great amount of denial. This event is very difficult to talk about. People have a hard enough time talking about life insurance and the ratio for risk of that is pretty good, right? <laughs> well, I was told one time by an insurance agent, it's the, uh, it's the only insurance policy you're guaranteed to use. Guaranteed to use. And you are so right. But the, the, the emotion that is brought out in people about losing the ind their independence and losing the ability to self-manage is horrifying enough that people will just, they'll just dismiss it. They'll just say, you know, I just don't see it happening to me. And honestly, still, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why more um, don't do um, proactive planning for long-term care. And I get it. Listen, I, I get it. I mean, we're an optimistic society and optimism is a wonderful thing and it gets us a lot, but we also have to be realistic. And the probability of life expectancy, especially for women now that, you know, one in 10 are going to make it to 95, the, the, the reality of you living that long on your own is just, it's 
it's problematic. So, well, I mean, it's a great problem to have if you're living that long, but I get it from a care standpoint, it's problematic. Things don't get typically cheaper in, in medical care as you get older, they typically get more expensive. And you mentioned this earlier, there are gaps in the system, as you will. Medicare yes. does not cover long-term care. Um, um, I guess the state doesn't cover long-term care unless you go through your assets and you're on Medicaid, which is not typically a lot of people want to do. They don't want to spend down your assets and go on Medicaid. And I know we'll get to that, but let me go back to one of the points you were mentioning too, because there are gaps in, 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 in health coverage, if you count this, and I do as health coverage in America, um, is, do you think from where you stand, is this really more of a, there's just not enough people talking about it? Is it because what you were talking about earlier, is it painful for the individual to think about? And there's that kind of that third rail of, well, what if I pay for insurance, never need it and die? Do they, do I get any of my money back or do I, do I pay these thousands of dollars and, and never use it? I mean, is it a combo of all those three? I mean, I just threw a lot at you, but go ahead. Yes. So let's, uh, that's great. Let's unpack that. That's super good. So yeah, part of the reluctance is, well, I'm going to pay these premiums and these premiums are much higher than some of the other insurance premiums I'm paying. And because I'm optimistic, the probability that I'm going to live and pay all these premiums until death, and I'm never going to use it. So, but the reality behind that is this, number one, you have a 70% chance of filing a claim on your plan, number one. What other insurance comes anywhere near that except for life insurance, right? Your homeowner's insurance doesn't come anywhere near that. Your auto insurance doesn't come anywhere near that. And your health insurance, I mean, how many major medical events are you going to have in your life that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars? It's a one in 15 chance that you're going to have a major medical risk over 50 grand. But it's so funny because people will shell out money for those and they don't ask questions. And they, when they die, they go, I'm glad I didn't need it. Well, why does that change when it comes to long-term care? For some reason, there's just a psychological block that we don't want to put long-term care planning into the same corral as proactive risk management as we do other insurances that we pay for 50 or 60 or 70 years. And we never ask a question about, well, if I don't use it, am I going to get all my money back? And I still think indirectly, Matt, it's still tied to some level of denial. People just don't want to take the logical approach. So let's say I do buy long-term care insurance. I buy a plan and I buy a traditional long-term care plan. Is there a possibility that I could pay into this plan for many years, several years, and not file a claim? Yes, it, there is. It is possible. And would you get those premiums back? So the risk we have to look at is this. Okay, so let's say my plan's five grand a year for my wife and I, and it has the potential to pay out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of long-term care benefits. And we both live a long, happy life and we both die. And my kids are gonna miss $100,000 of assets that they could have had if I would never have taken out the policy. 
well, let's say I was wrong <laughs> and we did have a claim and the cost of that care at the time I need it could easily be in one year, the cost that I would have paid for my wife and I in premiums over our entire life of our policy. That is the, that's the leverage of, of the leverage of money that people tend to kind of disconnect from. But it's managing the rest, right? It's using a small portion of my assets to manage the rest of my estate. And I'll be honest with you, most people do get that. They understand the logic of that. It's pretty simple. But I think where other issues come in is, was that client at that time, were they offered the right plan with the right money, with the right benefits based on their right age and based on their current health, and also based on maybe the experience that they had with mom or dad or grandma and grandpa. So a really good long-term care professional really does spend some time really looking at what is really your perception of this risk through your eyes and not necessarily about money. And I'll, I'll tell you, Matt, one of the things that I see the most over my 20 quarter of a century doing this is the focus is on the money. And this is not only a money problem. Matter of fact, it is sometimes far less of a money problem than the physical and the emotional impact on the people around you that care about you most. And that's the part of the conversation that is really, really important that I think kind of gets left out because it, it becomes a, a money conversation and a premium conversation. And that's only one, that's only one aspect of the, of the risk. You know, you're alluding to something there, or maybe my brain went to something that you weren't alluding to, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there a difference in quality of care with someone who has a long-term care insurance policy or some other type of policy that helps pay for long-term care and, and uh, folks that are uh, that don't have insurance coverage? I mean, I, 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 I mean, there are different types of nursing homes and long-term care facilities. I, I drive by them. Some of them look the like garden homes and other ones don't. Is yeah. there a difference in, in, in uh, the quality of care that given the type of insurance you have? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so let me, you, you brought up Medicaid a little bit earlier. Um, and yes, in some instances, people feel like, hey, you know, my mom went on the state on state subsidy and she was in a really nice place and she got cared for. She didn't have anything. And, you know, her event was fine. Why, why is that not okay for me? Well, understanding becoming eligible for Medicaid while you're in a long-term care event is very different than being eligible for Medicaid before you actually go into care. So here's what I mean by that. This is gonna tie into your question, I think really, really well. The, when, you, when we survey and we talk to our clients about why did you make a decision to buy long-term care insurance? You know. The response to that is very interesting. Number one response we get nine out of 10 times, 
I do not want to become an imposition on my family. Number one. Okay. Number two, you would think it would be, I'd like to protect our assets. Nope. <laughs> Number two is I want access to quality care. Number two, because they've seen uh, some direct or indirect experience with family or friends who have had to make a choice based on the quality of the care, based on how much they could afford. That doesn't always go well. And if it does go well, it may only go well for a segment of time. So let's say I do have some level of wealth. I go into a long-term care event. I am self-insured. And at, at 60 or 80 grand a year, uh, my three or $400,000 starts to whittle down. And now I no longer have the assets to pay for the care that I chose being self-insured. Does that facility have to keep you? Not all facilities are Medicaid eligible. So some, no. And I'm going through this with a client right now that has been in this facility. His family said, Brian, this was the greatest thing that ever happened, but we've only got about 12 months of benefits left. So now what? He can't stay there. He's going to have to transition into another facility. So when you go into a facility and you're already eligible for Medicaid, how many facilities are willing to take residents that are already eligible for Medicaid? Few and far between. Oh, now, are all of those the best? No. Are all of them the worst? No. That's not the point. The point is you don't get to choose. You're going to go to a facility that is approved by the state that is going to accept a new patient or a new resident, and they're going to be willing to accept the funds that the state will allocate for that care. Assuming that your assets are spent down to the level to qualify to begin with. And number two, one of the very important pieces of Medicaid, most people think that if I'm poor, I'll get in. That's not true. You have to be poor and unhealthy. So people say, well, my mom, she's got dementia. Yes, she does. But does she need skilled nursing care at this point? Is she somewhat self-reliant? Cognitive impairment alone does not qualify you for Medicaid. So you may be poor, you may not yet be sick enough to qualify. So, and I'm just, we could do, we could do no, a whole no, second No, this is this. fascinating. We could, because I always, again, I've got some experience in being insurance licensed and, you know, I've been in Medicare for a long time, as you know, but I've always heard this Medicaid spend down strategy, which is essentially spend off all your assets, give them all away, qualify for Medicaid, and you get long-term care insurance for free. Yep. That's not what, what you just said is not what I've heard before. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the morality of it or the character of it. I mean, obviously, you know, I, to each his own or her own, but, but that was what I've known. You know, that's kind of the, if you Google Medicaid spend down strategy, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get, you can spend down all your assets and then qualify for long-term care insurance. And you're saying there's a twist to that. That's not necessarily true. What I just said, right? 
You're exactly right. No, there is much, much more. And so you said something interesting. You know, I'm, maybe I don't agree with the philosophic strategy to go on state subsidy when I do have the money, if I can find an elder law attorney. And, and no disrespect, there are strategies where you can protect some, some of the money. But you know who gets the bad end of this? Is the surviving spouse. So now we've got four, five, six hundred thousand dollars of assets now. One spouse goes into long-term care. We vaporize the majority of the estate. And that spouse passes. And now it's all said and done. <laughs> and now the healthy spouse, which in most cases, unfortunately, is the wife, the female, she's going to live the rest of her life on diminished assets. Well, that doesn't seem fair. And I will tell you, there is no man on this planet that's priority isn't to take care of his wife, whether I'm here or not. Right. It's still my responsibility. That is the other side of long-term care planning that doesn't really get enough attention. It's, I might have enough to pay for one, but what happens to the surviving spouse that now has to live on much, much less. That doesn't seem fair. That, that attention piece, and I know I'm kind of skipping around a bit, but let's go back to that attention piece. You know, we, we know that the, the threat is real. It's not talked about enough in terms of the threat to, I mean, forget individuals just for a second and family, but how about the United States government having an under-resourced, I mean, this is a massive gap in elder care and care for older Americans that is only filled by self-pay or some sort of form of insurance. But the other gap seems to me to be somewhere in the advisor and the insurance agent and the financial planning and somewhere in there. It's almost like, is it, is it an avoided subject? Are there not as many experts as there should be? Because you know we hear stocks, bonds, crypto on repeat. Medicare advertising everywhere on TV and even life insurance on sports radio. No one yeah. ever gets, you know, something about, have you thought about your long-term care? So beyond the emotional challenge and the psychological challenge of thinking that you might be incapacitated somehow and, uh, and charging a lot of money later in life, is there some sort of gap in kind of the advisor role or the insurance agent role that isn't pushing this forward to people trying to plan for the future? Matt, there is. And I've been, I've been staring this thing in the face for, you know, 20 years trying to understand this. And, um, but what is apparent is, and, and is the fiduciary responsibility of a financial planner, Okay. Part of it is their exposure under regulation that, you know, a lot of them, they, they, run, a, they run a income portfolio analysis on their software and they will plug in the long-term care risk and they do. And that's great. And they make the client aware that, hey, here's the probability, here's the potential cost, and here's the dent it's going to make in your finances. And the client says, well, you know, I just don't think that's in the cards for me. And the, and the planner says, yeah, you know, I don't think it is either. Next. They check the box and on they go. So 
I understand it. The, the financial planner says, I don't want to get into that ground because I don't understand that world. Just like you with your complex Medicare world, the long-term care world is, is as bad. There are so many different solutions and products. And what happens if the company goes under? And what happens if there's 80% rate increases? The financial planner is going, I don't want that pinned on me. And I get that to a degree. But what about the fiduciary responsibility to the family if you didn't proactively encourage them, show them they had the money to allocate towards this? And in a sense, Matt, if people are willing to use some of their money to protect themselves against a long-term care risk, if they do it dollar for dollar, they're self-insuring, but what if I can reallocate maybe a hundred, a portion, a small portion of my estate to a long-term care plan and mitigate the majority of the risk and protect everything else I have? Well, why is that story not told with more passion? Because that really is the thing. You're still self-insuring it. We're just not leaving all of your money at risk. But that, that, that message is not delivered with enough passion in my opinion. So what, you know, we talk money. I mean, that's what a lot of people want to talk about is pre- how much is this going to cost? And we yeah. talked earlier in the show about how, you know, sometimes you're going to pay the premium and never use it, which, you know, is kind of a user to lose it situation, which people yeah. go, well, that's a lot of money to lose and never use. I mean, not that you want to use long-term care insurance, but still that's there. What, what type of, let me just, how much money do you have to have to have some sort of LT long-term care coverage? You know, are we talking like I have to have a million bucks net worth here or five or like 50 grand, 60, like what, what type of people should be thinking about covering at least a portion of their long-term care uh, insurance risk? Okay. So man, you're giving me some great questions and I, it's going to take me a minute because I'm unpacking these and these are long answers, but sorry, well, I know questions. they're long questions. But boy, I'm you're sorry giving me some you. great stuff. So right. yeah, the user to lose it. Yeah, that was sold in the past. It's still being sold today, not nearly at the volume, but what happened when the reimbursement segment of long-term care kind of had its collapse, the asset-based long-term care products started rising to the top. So this is where all the momentum has been bringing, has been coming back to the long-term care industry. So what if, what if I could leverage long-term care protection, but rather than doing on a use it or lose it on a traditional reimbursement long-term care policy, like was sold in the past predominantly, what if I could put that inside of a life insurance policy? So initially, I have a death, I buy a life insurance policy. It has a death benefit of a certain amount of value, which is generally more than I put into it. So if I die and I don't use it, my family, my estate gets a death benefit. Wow, that sounds pretty good. But what if I don't die? What if I live? And what if I do go into a long-term care event? If the death benefit, we call this extent, you know, this is, um, uh, a prepaid out death benefit where an insurance company may be willing to multiply the death benefit in multiples of two or three or four and create a much, much larger 
benefit pool that will reimburse the cost of the care. So if I live, I, got, I, I, I get money. I get money from the life insurance plan. If I die, there's a death benefit. And what happens if I pay into this thing and maybe it's a single premium product and I put the money in there and I change my mind in 12 or 14 years and I win the lottery and I've got a, or I sell a bunch of stock and I'm now a multi, multi, multi-millionaire and I really don't need the long-term care insurance anymore. Can I get my premium investment back? Yes. So these are the products now. Financial planners are feeling much more comfortable about these products. So can I, now not everybody has the ability to put in, take $100,000 reallocation and move that money into an account. But does it always take that much? Well, no, because now what the industry's done is they've, they've taken these asset-based long-term care products on a life or an annuity chassis, and they allow you now to pay these over time. So listen, I don't want to dump a hundred grand. Have you seen the stock market? Well, don't look today. Don't no, look in I the last couple look. of weeks, right? No. But the market, I don't want to take my money out of the market. Okay, well, why don't we chip it off maybe $10,000 a year for 10 years, maybe up to retirement, and then it's fully paid when I retire. There are so many strategies, Matt, on how to mitigate the risk of long-term care, that it really, it really doesn't leave anybody an excuse not to do some level of planning. Now, to answer your question, yeah. If, you know, if I'm living on social security and I've got 50, 60, 80, 100 grand in, in, in assets, this is probably not a wise move, right? It's, it's certainly not a wise move. And reality in short term, the state would be there. There would be some other state benefits that may make more sense at that. But you know, I've had multimillionaires tell me, Brian, and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to say, what are you, what are we doing? What you've got millions in dollars. Why do you think you want long-term care insurance? You know, what's really interesting, Matt, that they say to me, I'm going to tell you this too. When I went through training, no disrespect to Genworth, they told me, hey, if, if, if your client has more than 1.2 million, forget it. That's what I was trained. Really? Okay. I had phenomenal training there. I, I'm not going to, I, it, 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 it gave me the ability to do what we're doing today. But I found that out by education from clients that I, that was bad, bad advice because multimillionaires go, Brian, do you think I accumulated my assets by leaving it at risk? And I'm like, good point. Listen, I buy the best airplane. I wear the best shoes. I want the best long-term care plan you can offer me. Is that everybody? No, but there are so many solutions in between a mitigated marginal plan to give your family some breathing room for planning and having a fully comprehensive product that's gonna do all things you could ever imagine. There are so many ways to mitigate this risk, Matt. Everybody should at least be educated about their options based on their age, their health, their assets, their family unit. Everyone should visit what it looks like and what's affordable and what's attainable and what's practical because for most people, there is a solution that would fit.
So broadly, it seems like there are two solutions and I'm wrong all the time. So please correct me if I am. One seems to, there is this long-term care insurance that's been around since the, well, 70s, you said. Mm-hmm. Got really popular in the 90s. Uh, 08, 09, uh, recession kind of obliterated a lot of the companies who were uh, offering benefits that they could no longer afford. And that list of insurance carriers offering those kind of kind of dropped in the early 2010s and has stayed down. You can still buy them. They're expensive. They're not as comprehensive and the number mm-hmm. of companies selling them are fewer. It seems to me to be option one. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Option two is life insurance slash annuity, which it allows insurance companies to construct kind of combo deals. I mean, not like at McDonald's, but combo deals. Like, well, you can have an annuity with a long-term care rider. If you use it, great. If not, wonderful. You still have an annuity that you can use. Same with life insurance. If you need it, it's there. But if you don't use a long-term care, you still have a life insurance policy. Have I got that right? You've got it right. But there's actually a third one. Okay. There's a third one and it's called short-term care. And what a short-term care product is, is really designed for people that really understand when you look at statistics on long-term care, which I've got two screens up loaded for you ready. (laughs) But, you know, the the risk is really the risk is, you know, maybe about three years. And yes, are there people that outlive a three-year plan? Oh, yes. Uh, Especially dementia and Alzheimer's. Average length of of claim is maybe six to eight years. So that's a really troublesome one. But men and women that are not cognitively related, the average claim is about, you know, maybe 2.7 years for men and maybe a little over three years for women. They live a little bit longer and, you know, they, they tend to do, you know, they're just tougher than us. Let's just admit it. And so that's just the reality of nature. <laughs> so what happens is some people say, look, I, I, I don't want a five foot plank over a 10 foot ditch. And I don't want a 20 foot one either. Can you, can you build me something that's adequate, that will give me a couple of years of benefits that will give me integrated care, integrated care, home care, assisted living, community care, skilled care. So no matter what level of care I need, that money will pay out. But maybe the premium is more practical. And maybe the underwriting is a little bit more liberal, because I do have a few speed bumps in my health. And I may not be able to qualify for a traditional long term care plan. Yes. And the sales of short term products have skyrocketed over the last 10 years. So that's why I say when you if you're dealing with somebody that only has awareness or access to just a couple of different strategies, there are long-term care agents in this country, and I know a lot of them, and they are dynamic. And there are a lot of ways that we can help people if they just find somebody to connect with and ask the right questions. When do I start this? What, what age? Because you mentioned that this isn't a necessarily what we call in the insurance biz. Yep. <laughs> insurance. Yep. It sounds so wonderful. You, you are right. Guaranteed yep. issue, right? Which means which right. means you get it regardless of health. So there, there right. are uh, you know very few you know guarantee issue products out there, and 
I'm assuming long-term care insurance and one of the three or all three are going to have some pretty stiff uh, qualification criteria that only get that only gets tougher the older you get and yes. uh, the more healthy. So, so talk to me about when I should start thinking about long-term care insurance. You know, when you look at the numbers and you look at the data and you look at, okay, where, when, when am I at the right age to get the most leverage, the biggest bang for my buck, right? That's what everybody's looking for. The biggest bang for your buck. Well, between 50 and 60, you look at these products and it doesn't matter which segment we're talking about, whether it's short-term or traditional or it's asset-based, it really depends on where you're funding, where you're gonna fund it from. But as far as leveraging the benefits, between 50 and 60 is really ideal uh, based on actuarial numbers. Because what happens is every year that you get, you know, you're a year older, then you're obviously a year older, closer to the event, hypothetically, right? So insurance says, how long are you gonna give us money? And the longer you give us money, the longer, the bigger the pool of money we'll give you. It's actuarial 101. But what's interesting that people don't understand is if I was to buy a policy at age 55, and we knew somehow, Matt, that we were going into a long-term care event at 85, and we were going to pay those premiums out for 30 years. And somebody looked at the same plan and they bought it at age 60 and they were going to need care at 85. The 60 year old paying five years less would pay 30% more in premium by the time of claim. That's intentional by the insurance industry. They understand the numbers. Those pocket calculator guys, they're super smart. They understand all this, right? So really, it's, it's we get in our own mind is saying, well, I'm too young. I, if I buy it now, I'm, I'm going to pay these premiums like forever. Yes, but realistically, you're going to pay over a longer period of time, but you're going to pay less. And remember, when you do go into claim, you stop paying. So most plans have a most plans have a waiver of premium. Once you go into claim, you're, you're no longer paying, you know, paying premiums for the plan. So there is a size for lots of people. People generally rule themselves out. I mean, most of our long-term care planning in the last four or five years, Matt, have come from our Medicare clients. Mm -hmm. They're aging into Medicare and we're saying, you know, fundamental part A of Medicare, skilled nursing care, this isn't custodial care. What? Oh, we thought Medicare, oh no, what? This is a good time for us to have the next discussion. We, that is where the majority of our long-term care planning comes from. You know why? Because today people at age 65, they're healthier and they're wealthier than ever. And they're living longer. And they're living longer. And so that is a great time. So when's the right time? Here's when the, here's the perfect time to buy long-term care insurance when you're as young and as healthy as you're ever going to be, and somebody brings it to your attention. <laughs> That's a winner right there. That's the time. And it might be when you're 52, and it might be when you're 72, but it's never too late.
tell me who buys this stuff is it the is it the male or the female or is it are they couples or is it the <laughs> the solo female that already lost her husband or partner yeah, or so. how does all that work i mean who who should who should be paying attention right now listening because their other spouse or their partner they're not going to do anything and they need to bring it to their attention yeah. So let's let's give you the quick practical answer and that the insurance industry right now says that 68% of all the claims that are paid industry-wide are paid out for women. So, women, you're the you're you're far you're this you 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 basically crush all the statistics, okay? You live longer, you live healthier, you outlive your spouse, and sometimes you outlive your kids. I mean, that, that's reality. But now let's bring DNA into this. All right, let's talk about men <laughs> for a minute. Men, men don't like this conversation, and it's okay. I, I, you know, I get it. You know, men, you know, as um, I don't know if you're familiar with Harley Gordon, you may know who Harley Gordon is. Harley Gordon is a, a really well-known um, elder law attorney who basically created a certification for long-term care planners many, many years ago. Harley's incredible. His, he's got a book out that's fantastic that I give to every single agent we bring on board about long-term care. But what he talks what's, about- What's the book so, name? I'll, I'll put it up on the website. It's The Conversation. Okay. The Conversation. And uh, we buy him in gross because we, because his concept is the conversation about long-term care planning. And listen, this is an elder law attorney and he is incredibly pro long-term care insurance. His book also does cover Social Security, it covers Medicare, it covers Medicaid, it covers all these different types of insurance. It's a very, really good resource for anybody that's in our industry. The crux of the conversation is, what are the consequences for the people that I've been taking care of that are now in a position to take care of me and they've had to put their life on hold to do it. Listen, men respond to that. Men go, oh, now, Brian, that's a whole horse of another color. Now we're talking about my responsibility as a man to protect my family. I don't want to put those consequences on my family or my wife. And, you know, here another little tidbit here. Statistically, this one nobody likes. The life expectancy of a caregiver is shorter than that of a care needer. Caring for somebody that needs care kills people. Fact. So the greatest gift you could give your family is the tools to help make that event a little bit easier for them so that when you are no longer to perform your duty, you're not leaving this incredible burden on the people that you care about the most. And the conversation, Harley talks about that in absolute clarity. And I'll be honest with you, when I met him years and years ago and I read this book for the first time, it changed the entire way that I had a conversation with people about long-term care. It's not scare tactics. You're not gonna bully anybody into doing it. You're not gonna scare them into doing it. 
but you have to get to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is, it's probably going to happen. And your family is going to be stuck with caring for you. Now, I've got a multimillionaire that goes, Brian, I could give my kids $12 million a week to pay for me, and I'll never run out of money. Are we really doing them a great favor? Have we really solved the problem? So I've got $12,000 a week in money, but who's coming? When do they come? How often do they come? Do they steal from my dad while he's taking a nap? These are not fun questions. A long-term care insurance plan is gonna allow the kids to have tools to get the best care, to vet out the care, to partner with an insurance company, to make sure that I've got every resource possible to make this go as easy as, and it's never gonna be easy. Yeah. It's always hard, but not giving your family the tools they need to help mitigate part of this risk and to help bring in the service to help make their life easier, it's a tragedy. And you know, I'll tell you, that conversation changes everything. You know, that's a, an interesting point too, that I know we're, we've been in this for a bit, but it's long-term care. I mean, I've been framing this in my mind mistakenly. So I've been framing this in my mind as care needed away from the home, but there's a heck of a lot of value. A lot of people that don't want to leave the house and whose family don't want them to leave the house and they're homebound yet. They still need 24 hour care, maybe even only 12 hour care. How does long-term care insurance and the various forms it can take play into at-home care. Absolutely, Matt. And so that is, nobody buys long-term care because they're going, yep, I'm going to be in that skilled nursing home and I might want to make sure it's covered. Nobody thinks like that. But the probability of you needing care starts at home. Statistically, you look at claims throughout the industry, 70% of long-term care insurance claims start at home. Why? Because that's where everybody wants to start. We, everybody, you ask anybody, I, you know, if you're, if you're going to need care, where do you want care? I want care at home. Why? Because that is also part of our DNA, which is called aging in place. People will tell me, oh yeah, my dad, you're never going to get him out of that mobile home. You're never going to get him out of there. Why? You're going to put him in this beautiful facility. He's got thousands of dollars a month in long-term care benefits coming to him. And he can move down to Garden City. And you, he's right in between all you kids. And he, they go, he's not going. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because he doesn't want to leave the environment that he's in. So one of the most important things that long-term care insurance does is it allows you, it, allow, it will support your care in your home as long as you're safe. Safe is the key. So then we can transition. Well, maybe I don't want to be in a home, but I want to be in a, my home, but I want to be in a home. I want, to be in a, I want to be in a home in my neighborhood that has a wonderful family that provides care, but I'm not, I don't want to go to one of those you know, warehouses. I, I hear them called that every day. Okay, so residential care, sure, you could go into a residential home in a nice neighborhood. And you know, Matt, every, every neighborhood has one. Most people don't know that, that there are residential care homes in just about every neighborhood in the country. 
people just don't know they're there. They take care of five to 10 people and they live in it. They got a caregiver there 24 hours that lives there. And is that, do, do people get 100% quality care there? No. Can they get bad care? They might. So you move them. But many of them do give very good care. And you know why I would do that? because I would move that, I wanna be in the neighborhood where my daughter lives. I don't wanna move into a house. <laughs> I don't wanna move into her home, but I wanna move near her home so she can keep an eye on me. And then there's assisted living. And you're right, some of these facilities are breathtaking. I mean, we have one here in Scottsdale that's, I mean, I'm like, Really, it's crazy. But I'll move you know, in today. Yeah, Is that nice, huh? Fourteen thousand dollars a month, <laughs> and that probably doesn't even include your meals. So, so sure. Is that available? Yeah. Can we do that? Maybe and probably not. But it's available with long-term care because long-term care insurance doesn't. It's not a HMO. It doesn't say, oh, you know, you live in St. Petersburg, Florida. We have three facilities in your city that you can go to. That doesn't happen on any long-term care insurance plan. You can go anywhere that's licensed that the insurance will cover. So it does give you a lot of flexibility because we know sometimes people in the later stages of their life, they do want to move closer to the kids. They do want to change geographic location. Florida was awesome. Texas was awesome. You know, California was awesome. But my kids live in Missouri and I want to be close to my kids. And yet snows there. Yes, it does. But my kids live there, and I just think it's safer for me to move near my kids. So, can my will my policy pay there? Yes, it will. You know, you mentioned caregivers earlier, but I'm going to back into before you're a caregiver, because when you're already a caregiver in long-term care insurance, there are really no options for long-term care insurance, right? Yeah. Because you're you already need it. So let's let's call it caregiver, but let's just say it's you know, son, daughter, relative, and let's say mom, dad, they're getting older. What's my role in this? Do Should I be talking to them about their long-term care insurance, their long-term planning? Um, because to your, your point earlier, and I think it, it I think it's pretty much logical, common sense. You're at some point, somebody's going to be helping mom or dad. Yep. in this situation, either make decisions or moving them into a home or that moving them into your, your own house in your own home. What's my role and responsibility as a son uh, to talk to my mom about this or as a daughter to talk to my dad about this? How have you had these conversations? And in your experience, how does that go? When's the right time to talk about it? And how do I? Yeah, um, it's, it's hard. It's hard, Matt. It's a hard conversation for kids to bring up. Um, and I know that personally, because my, I, I mean, obviously I've been in this industry for a long time. My dad is, has some troubles right now. And, you know, and I'm worried and my mom is worried. I mean, I'm living this out really right now with my own parents and I'm, you know, I'm 900 miles away from them. So I think the conversation, it needs to be intentful it needs to be understanding with dignity that having a conversation about with mom and dad about becoming frail is difficult. But you think it's difficult now while they're independent, 
you try having that conversation with your siblings when mom and dad are not independent and then everybody's scrambling to figure out what the plan's going to be so it is it is an uncomfortable situation and i think there are you know um years ago um and i probably still have it somewhere genworth did put out a really cool little pamphlet that basically was called the conversation starter and it was just a really neat piece that um um that really gave empowered kids you know and i'm talking about kids 50 55 60 year old kids having conversations with mom and dad about, hey, we don't hope this will happen, but what, what is the plan here? What's the plan of attack? What, do, what, what would serve you best? And how, how can we, as your kids, how can we kind of plan what our role may or may not be? And you know, there are kids that are healthcare providers and they jump in with both feet and they go, hey, um, I wanna do it. I live near, I'll, I'll be the one, I'll be the one that steps in. And that's a really noble role and it's certainly difficult. But the insurance products, here's another kind of a plug for the insurance. Many of these products have what we call informal care riders. So if a child is gonna, is, wants to be involved with mom and dad, they want to be involved in the care at some level at some, for some period of time during the week, policies have a, 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 a trigger that could provide informal benefits or basically pay cash benefits out to a child that's passing up a, a promotion, that's taking ex extra time off work, that's having to relocate. I mean, there's this is what I mean by the conversation sometimes doesn't go deep enough uh, to help understand how these policies can really support the role of the children, not necessarily just throw money out to make sure you get your care paid for. It's a really, it's a really deep conversation that we have with our clients. And I, I just, and, and Matt, thank you. You're just asking a ton of really good questions that we're not going to be able to cover in one episode of this show, but I'm so glad you, um, you're doing super asking some really great questions. Well, it's a fascinating topic and I, and I do want to be respectful of your time, but, but let me ask, let me just ask a couple more. I know you're sure. a busy guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back to the kid thing. What if mom and dad don't have any money? Is it unreasonable for me to think, or maybe the siblings band together and buy a policy for mom and dad? Do you see that? I mean, because again, the burden yes. is going to fall on the kids, you know, and it could be for a long time. So we don't get to the point where, you know, dad's gone, but mom's in long term. Mom doesn't have any, mom, mom needs to move in with someone. Um, and disrupt their lives, even though we, you know, we want to be gracious and, and empathetic. I mean, mom could be there nine years. And while it might be great, it, it might be even better to plan earlier and pay for that policy for mom and or dad. Have you, do you see that? Yes, not nearly as often as I would like. But that is certainly a strategy. We can, you know, we can obviously as an insurance guy, we can say, you know, we can set the, the insurance up the insured and then we could change the payers and the policy owner and we could do some really unique things with that and and yes and give the kids all the ability to share in that just to make that a little bit easier so by all means yes but you know i can't say we see that every day we don't see that as often but i i do think that i think we're going to start seeing more and more of that 
um, as time goes. And I mean, we this industry has been talking about what's coming right now. I mean, you talk about the thousand, you know, listen, baby boomers, right? Medicare. We were like 2009. It's Yahoo time. 11,000 people a day turning 65. Well, that was in 2009. What's happening now? 11,000 people a day turning 80. Right. Oops. And how many of them are going to need care? A lot. A lot. So I think I think you're onto something that needs to be marketed out there as a strategy to say, hey, kids, come together. And maybe you got one wealthy kid that's done really well. Could he could he be willing to fund a policy for mom? Sure. I think they would. I think they, if they knew that was an option, I think they would do it. So who do I start talking to about this? I mean, if, if I'm 50 to 60 to 65, should I be going to my financial planner? Should I go find a financial planner if I don't have it? Um, should I be talking to my Medicare agent? Should I be talking to my life? Like who, where do I start? Do I start you know, going down ra- various rabbit holes around the internet? Um, how do I start? Because there seem to be a zillion different options out there and, you know, policy riders and where do I start? So I need, I obviously need a professional or that's, I mean, that's my personal bias. I'm going to go to a pro to help me out. How do I identify one? How do I know who's a pro and who, who's not? Yes. And that, that's, that's difficult. There are some agencies, the American Association for Long-Term Care, Jesse Sloan has a site that is, is pretty good and it has a locator on it. Um, of course, but not every agent is part of Jesse Sloan's program, but he's done a really good job of trying to get that message out over the last, man, Jesse's been, had that out for a lot, maybe 15 years. Um, but start with your financial planner. And I can say that because we probably have, oh, maybe 20, 25 financial planning groups, just basically in our sphere in the Arizona market. And when their clients bring up long-term care planning, they just go, just call Brian. (laughs) And so that may not be directly with me. Um, I'm affiliated with an organization called LTCPG, Long-Term Care Producers Group. And Long-Term Care Producers Group is uh, an association of some of literally, and I mean this, Matt, some of the top minds in long-term care from all over the country. So LTCPG.com, anybody can go there. You can go onto that site. These are long-term care brokers. These are the best of the best of the best. And many of these agents, I either, some, some I recruited, some I field trained, some I worked alongside, some I just flat admired because they are just phenomenal at what they do. And many of them only do long-term care planning. So I would be happy if, if somebody's not in one of the states that I help, I would be happy to connect somebody to a, to an, to a, to a broker that I know would give them the answers that they, and answer the, their questions respectfully and make sure they were going down the right path. What kind of homework do I have to do before reaching out? Um, do I have to come do I have to fill anything out? Do I have to, you know, should I, should I at least familiarize myself, uh, you know, by tooling around the internet and, and going down those rabbit holes? Or do I really just start with my financial planner? And if I don't have one, start with a long-term care insurance professional and say, I don't want to leave 
you know, my, 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 uh, my estate at risk and just start from zero, which, which way should I? Yeah. I think that's the place to start. Another thing is that many uh, credit unions have implemented insurance, senior insurance departments inside their credit unions. We work with a, a, a number of them. So go to your trusted resources, go to your financial planner, go to your credit union, maybe be enough courage to ask around to your friends, hey, do you have long-term care insurance? Do you, have you done this? Do you have somebody you've worked with that you felt good about? But yeah, going on the internet and finding somebody, oh man, I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> I just don't know. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a roulette wheel, but, but, you know, you got to start somewhere and there there's, you know, I would say start with your trusted relationships, your banker, your credit union, your financial planner, maybe even your PNC uh, agent. If you've got a good relationship with your PNC agent, uh, we, we do that too. We partner our PNC groups. They send over clients to say, yeah, long-term care, car insurance, yes. Long-term care insurance, no, but you should go do this. And so we're very grateful for those relationships. And we know that's very difficult for people. Um, and I don't really have an easy answer for you, Matt. I wish I did. I wish I, I wish I could just tell you, yeah, just have everybody go here and like magic, you, they'll find somebody. Well, it's the Maybe. same with a lot of the different, pro- I mean, it's it all, it yeah, really it's n- it nothing. Really there's no, there's no single place to go to find the experts in a lot of, a lot of fields, which is why shows like this, I'm very personally rewarded to have a show like this, where I can interview someone like you that's been doing this forever. And not only then the states in which then, you know, uh, you know, with, how do I say that right? Who's been doing this forever, not just in the states you operate in, but also you have this incredible network of people littered throughout the country and scattered o- over all the counties in America of, of how to find long-term care insurance and, and all the options that are available to them. So yes. um, what questions or topics did I not ask or get into that I should have? Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a small question about VA. Um, There's also questions about what happens if I've got some money, I I could reallocate some money, but I've already got chronic, I've already got a chronic progressive condition. So I've got the money to do it. I just don't have the health. And then there's people that have health, and they've got very little money, right? Well, so go with that one, Brian, go with that first one. Um, I got a little money. I know I need long-term care insurance, but I can't qualify for any of it. What do I do? Yeah. So there are some income products out there that really have very unique riders. They're, they're, um, you know, they're going to be fixed annuity products in most cases, not all, some of them, we, we, they can be tied to the S and P and they've got some investment strategies in them. But they're really an income product that is that allows an enhanced rider for long-term care planning. So what they do is they say, okay, you know, when you get to the point where you start drawing distributions out of it, you know, you can take your 10% right away. You can, and they'll allow you to take 20% after year two. But what happens is if you become ADL dependent, what they will do is they'll increase your distribution that you would normally get by 25% for five years. So what'll happen is, yeah, I'm still self-insured. Is this gonna look as good as 
you know, um, Money Guard or Bright House or, you know, Care Matters with mutual, you know, no, but it's going to be, it's going to give you a leverage of money that's available that will enhance the payout. It'll put your money to work and enhance the money that's available to you when you're in a long-term care event. And all that money comes to you tax-free. So these are strategies we're educating our financial planner partners about this going, hey, you know, there are a couple of other tools in the toolbox out there that you probably need to be aware of. So these plans are coming up. Um, they're coming out more and more. Uh, there's a big company that that uh, spun off of Genworth that is is called in their income annuities, and they're being sold literally in assisted living facilities. They're going into assisted living facilities. You're like, well, wait a minute, Brian. What? These people are already in care. Yes, they are, and they're self-insuring that. But are they in jeopardy of running out of their direct assets under management if they're there too long? So this product is available for people that have the assets to self-insure for a while, but it allows them to stretch that money out so that money will pay out a longer duration in order for them to stay in the care and not have to go on Medicaid. So the message is, even if you're sick or have a chronic condition that you think may exclude you from some sort of long-term care coverage, think again. That is exactly the message that should be out there. Now, can we help every single one of those? No, but there might be a solution for people that don't think there's not, there's a solution for them. More than likely, there's going to be something out there. Now, is it going to be, you know, the most dynamic product in the world? Well, it's not, but it's better than just paying dollar for dollar for your care, hoping for the best. And if I'm wrong, ending up on the state system, that's just, that's just not acceptable. Not in my, not in my mind. And we need to give, make sure people really have the understanding of what tools are available to them, regardless of their health, regardless of their age, you should ask, you should ask. Second to last question, you mentioned it, veterans and VA, yeah. specifically a, a nice, what about 15% of the overall retired population. Um, how does long-term care insurance planning play in for veterans? Yes. So um, they need to look into aid and attendance. There is some, there are benefits available for veterans that they may not have to show um, service-related, you know, disability, because that's the big thing. Are you a veteran? Are you retired military? Were you disabled in war? Was it wartime injury? What percentage of disability do you have? That is a whole nother uh, um, department of long-term care. Not quite as, I think a lot of veterans think there might be more there than there it really is, but they sure, certainly should ask. And a lot of them just don't know how to ask the right questions. Uh, so I have a partner with that. I, we don't do that directly. We have a tremendous partnership here. And they're, they're all over the country where we can connect somebody with a VA connected service that will say, okay, who are you? When did you serve? What's your health like? What are you eligible for? You know, here's what we can provide. But aid and attendance is basically a veterans benefit that's available to that will provide intermittent home care for veterans. And many of them don't even know that it's available. So 
it's it's really sad. They all should have a hundred times more benefits than they have. That's my opinion, and I think it's the opinion of most. But unfortunately, um, it's it's another. It's kind of a convoluted message, but they don't really know where to go to ask, and they should they should ask because there are benefits out there for them. As many of them aren't aware of. But there are benefits out there, but it sounds like there are still gaps in benefits or not gaps in knowledge, but gaps in benefits. So it's still worthwhile for a veteran with any level of benefit to talk to somebody about long-term care. True. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's they just need to know where to go, get the right answers. And sometimes when they get the answers, they go, you know, I've got the money. I'm in good health. I, I, I don't want to take away money that's available for another veteran that might need it. I mean, you're talking about the most noble people on the planet. And they'll go, no, let's build my own. I probably could get access to the VA, Brian, but I don't want to impede on what benefits might be available to somebody else. So I'll just go ahead and self-insure. I'll just go ahead and take responsibility for myself. Those people, they need hugs, man. They are that that's a phenomenal human being that that's, but that's, that's who we're dealing with. So they just need to be able to find the answers. And that's what we found. And that's a whole nother segment of products that we just feel it's better to have a professional doing that rather than, than us. You've been very generous with your time. And to your point, I think multiple times we could spend hours plural on this and we might just have to do it again. Uh, until that time, tell everybody where where can we find you on the internet? Where can we find yeah. you? Where How can we find out more? How do we get in touch with you? Thank you, Matt. Very easy. Um, www.innovativebrokerpartners.com is our, is our website. Uh, you can go on there. You can, you'll see our phone number. I'll give you the number here, 602-710-2211. That does ring directly to my desk. Feel free to call that number. Okay. Um, but the website, really, are you sure you, you want me to publish yeah, that? That's okay. And you can see, you can see on the website, you'll be able to see where the long-term care planning is proactive and reactive planning for long-term care, two different things. And we kind of hit on both of those today. And then, you know, what do I do with my life insurance and how do I transition from 90 days prior to retirement? And what questions should I be asking about my insurances? Are they all portable? <laughs> You know, do I need to get rid of them? Do I just drop them? I mean, what do I need to salvage and what do I do? So all that is on our site. Um, and then my email's on there. Feel free to reach out. You'll come right to us and we'll be happy to respond and take care of it. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. This was great. Yeah, this has been fun, Matt. I can't thank Brian Hurt enough. Great stuff. You can contact Brian at InnovativeBrokerPartners.com. Check out the show notes and websites discussed during the show at TheMattFerritShow.com. And of course, please subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I'd also really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to The Matt Ferret Show YouTube channel, which you can get to through TheMattFerritShow.com or by searching for it on YouTube. Until next time, to your wealth, wisdom, and wellness, I'm Matt Ferret, and thanks for tuning in. The Matt Ferret Show, related content, publications, and MF Media LLC is in no way associated, endorsed, or authorized by any governmental agency, including the Social Security Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. 
The Matt Ferret Show is in no way associated with, authorized, approved, endorsed, nor in any way affiliated with any company, trademark names, or other marks mentioned or referenced in or on The Matt Ferret Show. Any such mention is for purpose of reference only. Any advice, generalized statistics, or opinions expressed are strictly those of the host and guests of The Matt Ferret Show. Although every effort has been made to ensure the contents of The Matt Ferret Show and related content are correct and complete, Laws and regulations change quickly and often. The ideas and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show aren't meant to replace the sage advice of healthcare, insurance, financial planning, accounting, or legal professionals. You are responsible for your financial decisions. It is your sole responsibility to independently evaluate the accuracy, correctness, or completeness of the content, services, and products of, and associated with, The Matt Ferret Show, MF Media LLC, and any related content or publications. The thoughts and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show are those of the host and The Matt Ferret Show guests only, and are not the thoughts and opinions of any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show, nor is The Matt Ferret Show made by, on behalf of, or endorsed or approved by any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show.